1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Villano. It's my favorite time of the year because there was actual Giants football on tonight. I know it's the preseason, but this is what I love to do. I love to get in here with Nick Villano, unprepared, We don't talk about it, and we just bounce ideas off each other. That's what we do. We just talk about what we saw, bounce ideas off each other about this football team. And it was exciting to get that opportunity again tonight. It's always really fun, the first game of the year. That's for the preseason and the regular season for me. I don't know if you have those milestones, Nick, but those are always the two for me. And it was good to watch tonight because you can come away from this, in my mind at least, Nick, and I'll get your opinion on this in a second, feeling pretty positive for a multitude of reasons, in my opinion. But the main one being, and this is where I want to start, and then we'll find out where you want to start, Nick. The main one being the offensive line to me. Not only did the offensive line move more in sync, more together as a unit, there weren't as many F-ups. Then I've seen in multiple years, I can't even really think back to a year where I remember plus offensive line play. I thought about it, Nick, and I thought about the Seattle game from 2020 where Wayne Gallman went on the ground, and I feel like that was probably the last time I felt like the unit was moving so well and so in sync. But the Giants unit tonight, Nick, 33 carries on the ground. This includes the end arounds, 177 yards and a touchdown. That's five point four yards per carry. Wow. That's where I start. Just wow.
2: Yeah, I thought the offensive line in general was impressive on that first drive for the most part. And when when you look at the the stats at the end of the day, Antonio Williams had the most yards. He averaged six point eight yards per carry. He had the touchdown, nine carries for sixty-one yards. That was a a lot of that was done. In the second half, I ultimately think that the New York Giants offensive line is going to be able to run block. I think they have a lot of plus run blockers out there. I have some concerns about pass protection with with certain players, and I'm not overly concerned about it. I was intrigued on that first drive in the beginning of that second drive. And then Daniel Jones took a sack. He got hit low, which was a really weird looking hit. I I think that was on the second drive as well. So I don't think it was perfect by any stretch of the imagination.
1: No, definitely not perfect. And I do remember that hit, man. That was a little weird to watch. I was nervous for Jones in that moment. I think it was on on that deep ball uh outside outside uh, It landed out of bounds, but while not perfect. I just felt Nick like and yeah, we we're going to talk about the pass protection stuff because Josh Azudu had some issues in pass protection tonight and that was pretty obvious and clear on tape. The hold was more I think because Tyrod escaped to his left, and he kind of – I felt like he did a good job getting his hands inside the jersey at first. I'll ask you your opinion on that moment. But the 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 sack that he blew, the pass rush he blew earlier, was, was, was definitely not something you want to see from any kind of starting guard. And it will be interesting. We'll talk a little bit later about the Lemieux stuff. But what I felt was, Nick, for the first time in a long time – the second and third team units look so much more competent than I can ever remember. Just thinking about the last preseason, the one before those second and third team units in the past couple of preseasons have just been like epic disasters out there. Right. Like no exaggeration, no hyperbole. It was a disaster. They could not run block at all. There was nothing going on there. They couldn't pass protect at all. Basic stunts. Anything you threw at them, it felt like. And this unit, like it just felt like they were a more competent group, more prepared in my mind.
2: It seemed that way. Yeah, and that's a credit, obviously, to Bobby Johnson. So there's something to take away from that. And it does seem like the Giants have some depth along their offensive line. There's interesting players on there that we, we discuss a little bit, like the guy who got in late in the game, Roy, I'm not going to try to say his last name. He didn't get too many snaps to to my knowledge. But he's somebody who you look at and you say, that is a moldable piece of clay right there who could possibly develop into hopefully like a Jordan Mailata. And that is obviously Ooh. glass full, full. That is not <laughs> a glass full type of take right there. But that is obviously what you're trying to look for in a player like that. But even some of the other players on the offensive line, they are steps above, in my opinion players that the Giants were forced to start last year and that's just a good place to be in. and it does suck that Shane Lemieux got injured I would have loved to see him at center I think that would have been good for his development it sucks that Jamil Douglas got injured as well yeah. I watched a couple Jamil Douglas reps and I specifically paid attention to him and I was like damn he's getting blown off the ball and I don't really see a lot with Jamil Douglas and also just wearing the 7-7 on the back always just brings back bad memories but either <laughs> way hopefully he gets healthy
1: Yeah, Jamil Douglas won. I kind of agree with you. It's going to been pretty steady drumbeat, I feel like, with him and camp. He's had some reps he's lost at a pretty, I don't want to say consistent basis, but definitely more than some of the ones that we've seen that he's won tonight. Not a great look, like you said, before the injury. We want him to be there from a health standpoint, but I'm not so sold he's a lock to make the roster, even if he gets healthy faster, was healthy the whole time. There's a lot of competition there. But I think this speaks to what we talked about, a lot in the off season and some people question in some ways. And, you know, we praised Joe Shane for what he was able to do from a depth standpoint with the offensive line in just one off season, using multiple picks in the draft, but also finding a way to provide competition via free agency in addition to what they were inheriting on the roster. And that could come into play now right away, as we see with Lemieux potentially injured in a walking boot. That one scares the hell out of me. Anytime he got the walking boot, I just feel like, eh. And then obviously, like you said, with Jamil Douglas, a depth piece, but a depth piece nonetheless. So we'll see if that comes to fruition and that and that helps them out. But I want to talk a little while we're on the offensive line, Nick, I wanted to get your take on a player who flashed to me a couple times, specifically on run blocks in the red zone, and just a player who I'm hoping can flash more to you, to me, to all of us at some point with that second unit. And that's Ben Bredesen. What were your thoughts on any of what you saw from Bredesen tonight?
2: So with Ben Bredesen, my main thought was, damn, he's getting up slow because there were like two or three plays where I saw 68 <laughs> laying on the ground and I was like a 68 getting up and then he was able to get up. It's hard really to evaluate the offensive line without diving into that all 22. And I don't want to be disingenuous about it. If I had to give any takes on offensive linemen and things that I did see, I would like to go with Evan Neal who I was paying yes. attention to a little more. <laughs> Evan Neal loved seeing him operate in space, man. The guy is just a Mack truck out there. I mean, the one screen at Darius Slayton, first off, it was a good play by Daniel Jones to not prematurely th- throw that because the cornerback kind of jumped in front. He was patient and kind of double clutched it and then fired it into Darius Slayton who adjusted well to it. And then he had Evan Neal just barreling down, like no defensive back wanted to get in the way of Evan Neal there. You could just see the upside and the potential of a player like that. And then he had some reps in pass protection where he got turned around. There was one where, don't remember the Patriots player, but he got inside his chest and just kind of torqued him inside and got Evan Neal off balance and then like kind of discarded him to the outside. You don't love to see that, but these little bumps and bruises are going to happen in preseason. I remain very high on Evan Neal. I love the fact that he is a New York Giant, and I think he's going to be a very good run blocker. Pass protection, I think there's going to be some hiccups early in his career, similar to Andrew Thomas, but hopefully not to that extent.
1: Yeah, for sure. And maybe it was a play. I'm trying to remember with Bredesen in the red zone. I think earlier on the drive, maybe it was the Tyrod touchdown to play before that, but I definitely thought he flashed. But again, like you said, probably best to wait for the all 22 on some of those, but not on uh, situations like the Evan Neal play that you just mentioned, Nick, because that one, I don't think you need any all 22 to see a guy at that size moving at that kind of with that kind of agility down the field to make a block on that play. or at least. So I temp- actually,
2: sorry, sorry to cut you off, Dan, but I, I've already started cutting film and everything like that. And I see Bredesen on the play that you're talking about. It's the touchdown to Richie James. And Bredesen gets his hands up from the center position so quickly and locks out this Patriots defender. And the thing I love most is his hands are locked inside on this Patriots defender. His pad level is high, Ben Bredesen. He's losing the leverage battle, but it's okay because he is in such a good position with a wide base. And as the defensive lineman goes to break the contact going downward on Ben Bredesen, Bredesen doesn't move at all, man. Bredesen is just dialed in on this block he's just on an island so and he's moving with him too just step 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 shifting his weight giving the defender no space to operate so good call there dude and i'm just happy i already had that play cut up
1: and there's flashes i feel like like you mentioned, you mentioned well there's now we've mentioned bredesen neil i think there was a couple plays and we'll get to if you saw this with azudu who flashed as a mover as well it just feels like There's been flashes on this offensive line in this game that we've seen, some that we've also seen in camp and gotten some good positive buzz and reports on, but that we're just not used. I just I'm just not used to seeing this. I come out of last year's preseason game, Nick, and I'm thinking, like, do I remember any positives on the O line from last year? It's so hard to remember back then, but I feel like this is just a totally different script in that regard. I hope I'm not getting too high about it, but it just felt good to see.
2: Yeah. Andrew Thomas was a negative last preseason. I remember talking about it a lot and we see how he developed throughout the season. He was obviously a huge hit. I'm going to be, I think, a little bit concerned about this offensive line in terms of pass protection. Yeah. but. I think a lot of what this offense is going to be is a lot of quick hitting pass. It's not all going to be like the screens that we saw. I think there's going to be a lot of RPOs built in. There's going to be a lot of backside bubble screens and it's going to give Daniel Jones multiple options where he can hand the football off to Saquon Barkley. He could throw the bubble screen to Wondell Robinson with Kenny Galladay or Colin Johnson stalk blocking. Then he might have another option on the other side, like a slant. He could just read the coverage and then react that way. If you want to dive into a Daniel Jones conversation, I, I kind of wanted to get your takes on how he performed today. I don't really feel like there's too much to glean or take away from Daniel Jones's performance here. I mean, he had the two third down conversions. You should have converted on another, but Kenny Galladay, that was a really lazy looking route that he ran on that China type of concept. with Wondell Robinson as the three running the flag route with Colin Johnson and Kenny Galladay running the two ins. You want to talk about two freaking gigantic individuals running those in breaking routes right there. You love to see that, but you got to be better in that situation, Kenny.
1: Yeah, for sure. We can get to Galladay, too. You asked about Jones. We'll obviously have to talk about Galladay, so put that one on the back burner. But like you said, not too much, but not too much, I guess, asked of him, or they just didn't really do too much, but pretty good drives from Jones, I thought. And he had a couple really nice throws. The first, the one that stood out to me was that stick throw he on the slant to to Jones. I'm sorry, Colin Johnson. Obviously not the hardest throw to make, but the way he ripped the ball in there, I really liked the velocity on that throw. It stuck right in there and the timing. That Those types of slants, you got to hit them with velocity in stride to get anything out of the play after the catch, I think. And they got, I think his throw maximized what they can get out of the catch. Like you said, there was the weird routes with, with in the red zone. I'm not making too much of the throws there. The timing just seems off right now between Galladay and Jones, for whatever reason, we'll get, we'll get that figured out at some point. I thought there was one on the negative side for Jones. When he checked to the flat, do you remember this play to Jeremiah hall? Oh yeah. He, I don't really understand why because the pocket was really good as it was for the entire night, but he got really happy with his feet there and kind of did like three heel clicks to the left before hitching into the throw to the hall. And it just went completely over his head on a, on a pretty short throw there. So just too much on that. I, I don't know what it felt like maybe he didn't trust his pocket there, but it, it, I just rewinded, rewinded a bunch and I didn't see any real reason to not trust the pocket there. So some good and some bad, I thought, from Jones. But overall, definitely good to see the ball release uh, in that way. I felt like he had good velocity in this game.
2: Yeah, the pocket was fine. That was a play-action eye formation, hit the back foot, turned to the flat. He read the defender who was giving Jeremiah Hall a lot of space. And this is something we've criticized Jones for in the past, right, Dan? These, these simple throws, these layups, these gimmies, right? He'll, like, airmail these yeah. little throws to the flat, and then he'll rip a ball over the middle of the field in tight coverage through zone, and it's like – why can't you be consistent with this? I'm not really 100% certain why either. That was an uncatchable ball. It makes Hall look unathletic. And that should have been easy. And that was on a first and 10 play, you know? And then they ended up getting into a third and 10 situation eventually. And that's when I believe Patriots had too many men on the field to set up a third and five or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And And with those throws, it's almost like, if he gets that ball out there quick, or he recognizes it quick, there's you, there's room for yards to after to catch. It's not going to be much, but you're probably going to be able to get four or five and set yourself up for a second and shortish second and mid range. But ultimately, it just feels like at times with Jones, he's very fast moving in his process, like he's speeding, speeding, speeding through his process, heel clicking or or you know burping the baby when. Some other quarterbacks I've watched, I feel like they get into their drop and it's they're a little more calm and collected and before they survey the field. And that's the type of play where you need to just hit your back foot and make that throw to the flat, I feel like. But like you broke it down well, so it's OK. Those are things he's going to work on. Then I felt felt like overall this was a pretty positive performance, all things considered. And one thing I want to mention, Nick, because we didn't really mention it when talking about the offensive line or just now it is important to at least note the giants played against all backups. The Patriots yes. ran their entire backup unit, backup trench guys on the defensive line, which are just massive differences between the guys that normally play on that defensive line, backup, secondary backup linebackers. So all of this should be at least considered when we break down this game. But yeah, I want to move forward to something you mentioned earlier with Galladay, where are you at right now with Kenny Galladay, Nick? And it just feels like it's a really weird spot right now with where, where it is going into the season. Because there hasn't been an injury there, but it's been almost like chemistry is just not there.
2: It definitely seems like the chemistry is not there. And it's funny, too, because remember last offseason, we just had a lot of discussion about how Jones and Galladay were working together all offseason. And it just doesn't seem like it's it's happening on the field. Like there's no rapport between those two players. And I think it's easy to sit here and just bash Kenny Galladay and say he's lazy, he got paid a lot, and it it definitely looks like that. But then I listen to Kenny Galladay talk and some of his pressers and everything, and I don't get that vibe from him. I, I can't fully say with any sort of certainty where I'm at with Kenny Galladay, but I do know the facts. And the facts are we have not seen production from a receiver who is paid to produce. The guy went an entire season without scoring a touchdown, and we can make all the excuses in the world. And this is a preseason game. I get it. But you know what? I want to see you put a lot of effort into your blocks. I want to see you run a crisper route on that in-breaker on a third and five situation where you might be one of the primary reads there, depending on whatever that defender does. And it just you just want him to hold on to the football. I know I'm not somebody who is, is big in training camp when they have drops and, and like bashing them. You got to catch it. But then when it starts happening in the game, you start being like, well, you practice like you play. Right. And then I feel like a freaking idiot. So like, yeah. I, I want him to produce. And I think that's probably the, the simplest way I can put that. He just needs to produce like a 70 plus million dollar receiver produces. Cause he has just not done anything close to that since coming to New York.
1: Yeah, you're right, and I wonder if it's not only the rapport that's the issue here with Kenny Galladay, if I'm going to be honest about the situation. I mean, look, this is a guy who we I've at least heard that hes he may never be the same after that hip surgery. For some odd reason, I did also hear the Giants knew this and were told this and still signed him. This is just what I heard. <laughs> Somebody whose sister worked in the hospital that did the surgery. But i got to be honest with you, Nick, I haven't seen a player who's really defying that assertion. So far, I've seen a player who's struggling to create separation, even on that red zone route that Daniel Jones threw. that was just kind of like maybe a couple inches over his head. You know, these great receivers separate at the end there, right? Or they stack at the end there and make a play on the ball. I think Carl Banks said something on the broadcast like maybe Jones could have kind of just like thrown that ball higher and in the air for Galladay to make some kind of like spectacular back shoulder catch. I don't know. I think that ball's pretty well placed. I think the receiver has to beat the corner to the spot there. Right. And that's just something I saw Galladay do a lot more of in Detroit. He was winning on vertical type routes that he just hasn't won on with the Giants for whatever reason. And so for me, Nick, my concern level is le- is maybe even more so than the chemistry issue is just Galladay. Is he the player that he was in detroit anymore i'm not as sold on that i'm I'm actually just not sold on that
2: yeah i'm not 100 sold on that either and I, if i'm not mistaken i know the play in front of me i think on that play jones might have sped his clock up a little bit because he was just about to get clobbered and he actually got i think knocked on his ass yeah. on that play it was either that one or the darius slayton one or could have been bolts so i know he got knocked down on that darius slayton deep pass off the sideline that you referenced before but yeah no dude I, i'm right on board with you with kenny Gade. we have to see it come to fruition at this point. But I want to uh, talk a little bit more about the offense, dude. And uh, I like some of the different running schemes they incorporated. They had that halfback toss to the, it was like the middle of the field, the ball, but it was kind of towards the boundary and they tossed it to the boundary and they got all the blockers out there in space. I like the fact that they're getting these big all athletic offensive linemen in space. It's something we talked about a lot throughout the off season. And I love the fact that we saw Saquon Barkley choice routes. Dan. that is something that we've wanted more consistently. And it's not just, you know, over the middle of the field, it's leaking him out into the flat and getting a linebacker or or safety in space. Very unconfident because they want to protect the middle of the field, especially if they're a man coverage. Saquon Barkley is a good enough athlete to see his leverage and then explode outside where there's limited space and operate. We saw that on the second, third and five conversion on the first drive.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right, Nick, and that was one of my favorite plays of the day, and despite the fact that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka put together a very vanilla offensive game plan, because obviously you're not giving away anything in preseason game one, it still felt like a more aggressive game plan and a more interesting game plan with plays that you know they set up the end around here, then they give it back, and now it's the fake, and now it's the play action. I know the play action didn't work off of that. There was a sack, but just showing something and showing the exact same thing, doing something different. And just, this was a great example. I thought this was my favorite play call the entire game, Nick, because they had trips to the left and they had Barkley lined up out of the backfield. That's brilliant to me because after the snap Barkley runs his route, gets out there over the middle of the field. And he has a one-on-one with that linebacker, despite starting in the backfield to Daniel Jones's right and having the trips on the left. It was just such a nice way to get an easy one-on-one on on the outside for Barkley to just break on an in and out route where it's a two-way go for him against this linebacker, this poor linebacker who's facing the 4-4 athlete at 240 pounds who has a two-way go on him. And it's just simple money, like you said, Nick. Just, it was awesome. And I saw that continue once Tyrod came into the game too. Tyrod had a play like that as well, where he thread the needle on a a ball to a running back in the flat. So like you said, it's really, that was my other biggest positive for sure. It's the play calling mix and just the different offensive design.
2: I know Daniel Jones, I think it was the second drive that he was in. He got beat up. A little bit on that drive uh, one of the plays though I think the Giants had like might have been like a six-man protection and they had like two tight ends in there to protect Evan Neal got spun up and I believe that was the play where Daniel Jones was sacked and it, you just hate to see whenever you allocate so many resources to blocking one specific side because the Giants slip protection in that side and then they just can't get it done I think Evan Neal was somewhat of a culprit of that and I know they brought I think a tight end from the back side to help block along with Chris Myrick but then that isolated like Chris Myrick against Josh Uche and Daniel Jones ended up getting sacked but those types of mistakes I mean they can get ironed out in preseason hopefully we won't see it as often during the regular season but it just kind of gave me some memories of last year's mm-hmm. you know, well personnel out there we're gonna keep seven guys in for protection It didn't matter and it was a sack but I don't think it will be a prevailing problem throughout the season hopefully
1: No, I mean, look, they're going to face defenses that are a lot different than the Patriots' second-team defense, right? Like, they'll never face and This is the easiest matchup they'll face all year, and it's second-team defense. But there will be growing pains at the pass protection. You're right, Nick, and we can see the early signs of it. And hopefully the injuries don't further because that would just really turn this thing into a downer.
0: But We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Football season is right around the corner, and if you're into sports and gambling, you have to check out oddstrader.com. Oddstrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can compare different sign up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. So, if you're into handicapping, play by play updates, live scoring and bet tracking, player statistics, key game statistics, projected weather, all of this, if you're into that, you have to check out oddstrader.com. Go to OddsTrader.com, use the promo code BlueWire. That's OddsTrader.com slash BlueWire to optimize your betting. Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets.
1: Ultimately, I get the feeling, like you said at the beginning of the show, Nick, you mentioned it. You said they're going to generate a lot of offense with their move-run game and with just these screens, the receivers, and these quick-hitting stuff. I feel like they can generate offense through that. And I wanted to ask you on that, or on a separate note, I wanted to ask you, about the route that Colin Johnson ran. I think it was on the second drive on third and two. I freaking love this route by Colin Johnson. The inside out route was a little whip route. Jones, I thought had a really good read on this play to get it to Johnson. I thought there was really good pass production. And one more note before I move on and ask your opinion on this route by Colin Johnson. I didn't mention this before, but I want to give a plus mark in the check or a check mark in the plus column for Daniel Jones on his ability to go through his progression. tonight. I thought he did a good job on this read Uh, On this rip route that he got to Colin Johnson, I thought there was another read he made earlier or maybe a little later in the game where he checked down to the running back in a really good spot. In general, I felt like he was doing a, doing a better job than I expected just given how much we've heard in camp, right. About how hard this offense is for them and how long it's taking much better job than I expected there. So just a couple things on that note.
2: Yeah, that was a third and two play right there. And I love that it was a reduced stack set. So you have, four wide receivers. One might've been a tight end. I'm not really sure, but they were stacked and they were in a reduced set. So like nobody is outside the numbers. Everybody is inside the numbers. I believe it was, I I think Colin Johnson was to the boundary on this play and they basically just ran the running back out to the boundary to expand the outer defender. And then Colin Johnson just ran that quick whip route at the sticks and he just kind of sat down as, I believe it was, I think it was Bellinger. It was either Bellinger or Myrick kind of ran a spot route over top that just basically sucked three defenders up. And it was up to Colin Johnson to just find space and be on the same page with Daniel Jones. And that worked pretty well. And it was, again, Colin Johnson, bro. Him and Richie James, they're both making a strong case for this roster. Colin Johnson on that play, though, he looked fluid, right? He's sinking his hips. He's exploding out of his breaks. He's showing football awareness to get in between zone coverage to provide himself some space. And then he goes and he breaks a tackle and picks up like an extra 10 yards. Now he fumbled the football a little bit later on. That's abysmal. But man, dude, I really look at Colin Johnson and Richie James, and I'm saying this Giants team has some real depth at wide receiver, and there's going to be a Pretty quality wide receiver, somebody who you can put out there on Sunday and he's not going to completely sink your team, who's probably going to be cut by the Giants.
1: Yeah, you're right. I feel really good all of a sudden about the wide receiver depth. And for me, it's because of Colin Johnson and Richie James. Richie James, I like. I thought he made a really good conversion on a pass from Tyrod Taylor in the second team offense. I think general, he has good juice. But I'm really and, and I, I'm excited about having him as one of those back end guys. But as far as Colin Johnson goes, man, I don't know if you want to get me started on this. Maybe I need to grab a box of tissues before I get started on this one. Oh, Nick. geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little throwback to the league and a little rosterbation action there. But man, like you said, with Colin Johnson, it feels like it could be more, at least to me, his. The few things I really liked, I thought he adjusted on a throw where Tyrod Taylor ran that play action boot back to his left and kind of lofted the ball down to him. He created a ton of separation on that route, but also more importantly he adjusted to a ball that wasn't really perfectly thrown and low. And that's something that if he has that body control and that ability to adjust at his size, that's awesome. And he carries that size really well. Like you said, he gets in and out of his breaks, like someone that doesn't make like it to me, physically speaking, Nick, it doesn't make sense that Colin Johnson get in and out of his breaks the way he does. Like on, for example, that third and two route that you just broke down so well at that size, at that height, I don't understand. I mean, it looks like something that you would see from a much smaller receiver. So, there to me seems like some really big trait based upside with Colin Johnson.
2: There absolutely is. It's just he has to, I think, put it all together mentally. Like he seemed to have ball security there, but it just got punched out. And I remember last year we were really high on him for, you know, a waiver wire type of addition, but there were mental mistakes. I felt like that we went over on those podcasts. So as long as he's developed in that area, in terms of just being big physical and an athlete with pretty sure hands, and he's pretty effective at all three levels of the field. I mean, those aren't typically guys you find just hanging out on the waiver wire. So I think he has a strong case to make this team. I don't think he's a lock. I don't think Richie James is a lock, but after today's performance and everything they've done in training camp, they're making a damn strong case to force Joe Shane's hand to be like, okay, we're going to get $2.5 million richer by releasing Darius Slayton, who was involved on the first drive, mind you. Yeah. And
1: by the way, you mentioned it was involved on the first drive, had a nice screen by the way, um, end around. Okay. And right now I'm with you though. I feel like Colin Johnson, and Richie James are over Slayton on my depth chart. If I was to put it out right now, and that goes with four receivers above, of them, right? Shepard, Wandell, Tony, and Galladay. Because Galladay isn't going anywhere, you know, at that contract. So that's already a pretty deep depth chart at wide receiver. Kind of out of nowhere. We kind of talked about this position as being, whereas we were a little more scared about it. Richie James looking like a really nice grind the wire type pickup from Joe Shane. And then Colin Johnson, the credit goes to Dave Gettleman, right? Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, they were the ones who scooped him. That's a really nice scoop off the Jaguars. Right, we talked about Johnson doing our pre-draft coverage the year he came out a nice little sleeper and and it's starting to feel like it. So Nick definitely excited about that as well. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something I came into the game saying, which was, I want to see some chemistry in the past game. I felt like everything I saw in that fan fest scrimmage practices, the videos we have, the reports we keep hearing timing was off. Chemistry was off the past games out of sync, but, there's, one chem- There's there, was, there was one two, uh, one two com- combination chemistry tonight, Nick, where the chemistry wasn't out of sync. It was a perfect sync. And that was between Tyrod Taylor and Colin Johnson. Man, those two work together like they've been throwing passes to each other for the last two or three years in the offseason, thousands of balls. I was really surprised to see the chemistry that Taylor's developed with Colin Johnson in just this short training camp period leading up to the first preseason game. It feels like they had, like I said, it feels like they've been working together for a while.
2: Yeah, it does. I mean, I would like to see Colin Johnson come down with that pass. I think on the broadcast, I said it was CJ board, but I'm pretty sure it was Colin Johnson on that play that was tipped up in the air to Richie James. It was a little high by Tyrod Taylor. And I think we, should, we can probably talk about this quarterback situation here. Like I agree with everything that we said about Daniel Jones. Not too much to read into. It did seem like there were a couple plays. I think the first play of the second drive where he was going through his progressions, you can see his head moving. And then he just takes what's there. He just finds his check down quickly, picks up a couple yards. You like to see that, but there are some traits that Tyrod Taylor showed that man, I really love to see the different arm angles and the trajectory that he was using, throwing off of those arm angles. And then the way he maneuvered the pocket, dude, it is just, it's, it's so much more fluid and effortless than someone like Daniel Jones. And I think Daniel Jones has gotten better at that, since his rookie season, I mean, you would hope so, right? But watching Tyrod Taylor do it, there were a couple times in this game where I was like, oh, he's getting sacked, and Tyrod just avoided. He stepped up. He went side to side. He did what he had to do to find a throwing angle, and then he executed on those passes pretty damn well. And I think there were a couple throws that he that he threw, dude, and I was like, ooh, dude, that, that could have easily have been intercepted. But all in all, I came away pretty impressed with Tyrod Taylor.
1: Yeah, we're going there, and – for all the haters out there, I want you to note, Nick said it first, okay? This is Nick in agreement. He's the one who brought it up. He's the one who said it. So now I'm going there. And I will be honest with you, Nick. I think it's, to me, obvious when I look at it, and I think you just said it too. I think most of our listeners probably would agree. He looks calmer in the pocket, Tyrod Taylor than Daniel Jones. Like you said, there's a smoothness to it. He can maneuver it. He can reset the pocket. He can manipulate it. When he gets the snap, when he flips his hips around in play action, he is a much more collected quarterback, at least appearance-wise, than Daniel Jones. And you talk about that, you talk about the arm slots that he threw from, uh, threw from his ability to change his arm slot, change trajectory. The red zone touchdown he threw, by the way, that was from a 3-4 slot, basically a baseball-type throw. It wasn't fully sidearm. I know on the broadcast they mentioned it was sidearm. When you rewatch it, it was a 3-4 slot. And if that's not thrown from that 3-4 spot, Nick, I don't think that you could tell me what your thoughts on this. I don't know if that's a touchdown pass, because if you throw that ball over the top arm angle, I feel like it's going to be a little too over James's catch radius or a little too far ahead of him. That our angle he threw that from that 3 four's angle, that ball kind of just didn't really have much arc on it and kind of just ripped into the spot.
2: Yeah, it was a really good throw. I'm not really 100% sure if it would have or wouldn't have gotten to Richie James, regardless of the specific angle, but I do know that he just stepped back in the pocket on that play and. Bought himself a little bit of time for Richie James to get in and out of his break. Richie James really just absolutely put the defensive back in a spin cycle here. And he put the ball where it had to be before the safety can kind of get over and undercut it. So it had enough velocity on it, just enough touch, even though it didn't really need too much touch because Richie James won so cleanly in terms of separating on that route. But either way, and I'm not sitting here saying that, oh, Tyrod Taylor needs to start or anything like that over Daniel Jones, but I think it what it was apparent just to say that he is a little bit more calm, cool, and collected in the pocket. But at the same time, like I did see two throws from him that were like, oof, there was one, I think it was on a third down, it was towards the sideline that was almost intercepted, and then there was the other that was also to the sideline where he was trying to attack the flat, and the cornerback who was on the number one receiver came off of it and came through the flat receiver's outside shoulder. And I thought if that cornerback was a little bit better, that would have been a pick six.
1: We were just commenting on this one trade. I think that's sometimes what gets lost a a bit at times in the discourse. Like, we both feel like we need to defend ourselves. We're not really, there's no real reason to. We were just observing one thing, their calmness in the pocket, how they move in the pocket, their ability to manipulate the pocket. Just a simple observation and an analysis. But I would agree with you that there were things in Tyrod's game that definitely concerned me. The one where he tried to roll back to his left off his opposite shoulder, and I think the throw was to Richie Jane. No, I think it was to maybe CJ Board on the lower, along the left sideline, that should have been picked. Like that ball was nearly picked. And I feel like Taylor will have a lot of interceptions if he is ever in that quarterback. I think that would be part of his game. And that's not to say it won't be part of Jones's. We're hoping it's not. I think Jones will do a better job of not throwing interceptions. If that makes any sense. But yeah, I did definitely feel like from a pocket manipulation standpoint and a calmness and a coolness in the pocket and just an ability to get kind of into his, into his back foot and just plant his, feet to make the throws and kind of make his decisions but i don't want to take anything from jones either nick because i did feel like jones did a much better job navigating through his progressions decisive with the football the ball placement was pretty damn good overall the velocity again on that colin johnson stick throw really nice stood out to me and i don't knock him for the galladay misconnection in the red zone like i said a great receiver makes a play on that so overall like you said up and down night from the
2: quarterbacks that third and two play though was, was great by Tyrod Taylor. The the one where he stepped up in the pocket and he could have ran the ball it was yeah. right before the Colin Johnson fumble, but instead he just fired a pass to Richie James who was open in between two zones. I mean, that's just showing the awareness, showing the, fact that hey i can be calm i can keep my eyes downfield i feel the pocket i have the spatial awareness to know where these defenders are i know i can step up and run if i have to but i'm going to keep my eyes downfield to see if anything comes open and he saw something come open he saw the receiver present his chest and he fired the football he could easily ran there but he saw an easier path and he took it
1: yeah i think that's a great point i'm happy you brought that up because just looking back through might have been the best play i think by a quarterback tonight because like you said he steps up through that, but it's not like a panicked rush step up through the pocket. He can run for it. You mentioned it, but he, can't, he he's able to kind of plant and get enough on that throw, because I felt the velocity was really good on that throw, and obviously the ball placement was right there, but for somebody who wasn't really set and from a balanced base, so definitely a great throw by him. Good night for sure for these quarterbacks. I mean, they ended the night, what, with 190 yards in the first half, those two, before they turned to Davis Webb, but we'll, we'll sign up for that. I'll sign up for 190 any day.
2: You want to know one of the more interesting storylines from this game, in my opinion, is the running back three spot with Antonio Williams, uh, Deshaun Corbin, and Gary Brightwell. Because all three of those running backs, to me, showed traits that I'm like, oh, I could see why the Giants would want to keep them on the roster. I mean, Antonio Williams looked Physical. Now, he was going up against like third stringers. I think we have to keep that in perspective. Average 6.8 yards per carry, had the touchdown. Corbin looked really, really spry. Looked like he had some real receiving chops out there. I believe he came down with five of six targets for 28 yards. Also looked, you know, okay on the ground in terms of efficiency. Got tackled, you know, shoestring a couple times. And then Brightwell also had a couple of nice runs. One of them was called back. Still, he looked pretty explosive. What do you think of these three, man? I think that that's an interesting. Battle right there.
1: Oh, yeah, Nick. I mean, 35 minutes in, we didn't even mention the running backs. The running backs are one of the key topics. And I, I thought, I mean, we came into this game feeling like we don't really have depth there. And I come out of this game feeling like, damn, dude, like, bright. I'm not saying these guys are going to be all pros. I'm not saying these guys are going to be solutions long term. These guys are the starters, insane bargains, insane finds. All I'm going to say, though, is this. And I mean this. They all showed more juice than I expected them to have. They all showed more traits and a variety of traits than you can expect from the pass-catching ability, the body control on some of these throws to change their momentum, make the catch. I thought Corbin did a great job of making the catch and then shifting his momentum and losing nothing. Like, Corbin post-catch into his run-up field after the catch doesn't lose momentum. Brightwell looks like a natural as a receiver and made some really good decisive cuts and runs up field. You mentioned Antonio Williams. All three of those runners, even Corbin to some extent, though probably the least of the three, We're decisive and slashing downhill. I feel like that is almost in some ways a little bit of a different thing than we've seen from a Giants run game in a long time. Just these running backs with the idea and the purpose of going downhill, getting vertical fast and getting vertical often. And like you said, all three impressed me.
2: Absolutely, man. I'm really excited to watch them against the Bengals and the Jets to see who really kind of rises to the occasion. Because obviously, Saquon's locked in. He's going to. Be a workhorse running back. I mean, there's not a lot of workhorses in modern NFL. He's going to be about as much of a workhorse as you're going to see. But I think Breida will work in there, and there's going to be a third back. Could come down to special teams value. I think Corbin offers that. Brightwell offers that. I'm sure Williams might, but I, I'm not really 100 certain on that right now. But either way, man, I'm excited. But but Dan, did you almost have a conniption when the Giants lined up on fourth and five yeah. on their side of the field, and then they ended up punting the football in a preseason game?
1: Oh, yeah, that was a funny one. That was a throwback to Joe Judge, who was on the other sideline. Maybe they were doing a little nod there. Maybe it was a little fun. Brian Daves was having like maybe talk to the guys like remember that time. We would remember how we would always punt on fourth and shorts in our opponent's territory. Let's do that. Let's do the fake. Like we're going to come out, run a play, try to draw from, draw them off sides and punt it. So that was definitely funny, Nick. I love that for sure. I wanted to mention something before we move past the running backs, though, that, that I was thinking about. That was kind of churning in my head as we were talking about it. And I feel, Nick. Like Saquon Barkley shouldn't touch another, shouldn't be on the field for another snap this preseason. What are your thoughts on that? For me, I'll be pretty disappointed to have him out there. I thought he displayed everything I needed to see tonight. I thought I saw Chain Lemieux go down with an injury that he's now in a walking boot, two other injuries. I don't really need to see Saquon Barkley out there again.
2: I'm 100% in accordance with that. I liked what I saw from Saquon, thought he looked explosive. I thought he had, I think, A nice cut or two there, but I would have to really really re-watch the All-22 to come to that conclusion. But from everything I saw, it looks physical, lowering his shoulder. You know, it's not just against Aaron Robinson. When Aaron Robinson's told not to tackle him, he'll roll over his shoulder maybe. Maybe he'll actually be a little bit more physical this year. So I'm hoping that, you know, he could just rest, and then we can actually see these three running backs, along with Matt Breida, if he's fully healthy, actually compete for who's going to be the backup to Saquon Barkley, who is going to be that bell cow, quote-unquote, type of dude.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, look, with this, I feel good about this podcast so far, Nick, because we've spent this amount of time talking about the game, and it's been all offense. I can't even remember the last time we had one of these podcasts bringing out a game, and we had this much to talk about with the offense. We had those From and Glennon days, and those were just miserable from an offensive talking standpoint. So it just feels good to talk about this offense in this way again. They're making plays, man. Like I said, 190 yards in the air for the first half of those two, first two quarterbacks. And obviously the rushing yards, you know, over 5.4 yards per carry and a ton of yards this game. So let's pivot, though. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. I thought less to take away probably from the defense just because they went to the backup sooner than the offense. The second series, I noticed uh, some of the the, the trench guys, defensive linemen were already out. No Leonard Williams in this game. What were your thoughts? What was your first thing that's maybe the first key takeaway for you on the defense side of the ball?
2: I think it has to be Aaron Robinson. Yeah. And it was like taking one step forward. And I would say three steps back. Cause he had a couple plays where he was beat. He put himself back in phase. He trusted his technique and he had a PBU. And then the very next play on that play against Taequann Thornton, who beat him cleanly off of his release. And it was underthrown football. He gets beat by Wilkerson. I believe it is for the catch. And he, it's just not encouraging to see your potential starter get beat twice in a row by two different receivers on the same freaking route. And that was a rough drive for him. And then he makes a good play on the football in the red zone, trusting his technique, right? And then he takes that stupid penalty and then he gets beat for a touchdown. So it was pretty rocky for Aaron Robinson. And I'm not surprised by that. I, I hope this is going to be a learning experience. And I say, I'm not surprised by that. Not because I don't, think he can be good because i made that clear i do believe he has the talent to be good but he has to put it all together And i do not think it's a coincidence dan that joe judge is a coach on that staff and he didn't want to challenge dory jackson he's going to make aaron robinson earn it and it wasn't the best showing for him so now it's going to be on coach jerome henderson and aaron robinson himself to learn from this experience and i'm looking forward to seeing what he can do for these final two preseason games because what did we say man There is an Achilles heel to this Giants team. It might actually be the secondary, and we're relying heavily on Aaron Robinson. So if Aaron Robinson ends up sucking, it it could be a really long season.
1: And one thing we've always said throughout is, like, do the opposing teams the Giants are playing on this insanely easy schedule, the easiest from opposing quarterback standpoint I've maybe ever seen the Giants have do these types of quarterbacks have the chance to really make it matter? But we saw tonight the answer is, might just be yes, right? Like, this was Brian Hoyer out there making Aaron Robinson pay. This is not a good quarterback. And on the play that the first ball he threw, the the go-route to Taequann Thornton, I mean, Taequann Thornton destroyed Robinson by at least two or three steps. He had to slow down to try to catch this ball from Hoyer that hung in the air and ultimately had to stop his momentum, so Robinson could kind of catch up in some ways there. But, I mean, if you look at that play, wow, that was that was beat pretty cleanly off the line of scrimmage, and I worry if Taequann Thornton's able to do that, what are they going to do when they have to match up with the Devontae Smiths of the world, right, who have those kind of clean, fast, quick releases off the line of scrimmage. So I thought my evaluation of Robinson tonight, Nick, was in the short, shorter area defensive situations he had, once he got down in the red zone, with the exception of touchdown he allowed, he actually looked a lot better. It's What scares me right now is can he hold up when he's playing you know, man coverage on these go-routes?
2: I mean, he didn't in this game, right? I mean, the two go routes he was really challenged on, he was just a little bit slow to flip his hip and then get back in phase. He just lost cleanly on both of them. It takes this key step inside, and then once the receiver commits outside, it just seemed like it took him a little bit to to fluidly pivot and get himself running and chasing him, and he got himself out of phase, essentially. I love his physicality, man. I like his length, and I I think that he can be good. It's just – this is a very volatile position, the cornerback position. So you can get in your head. There's a lot that can happen, especially when you face like an Aaron Rodgers or, or a quarterback like that with a in NSC, and they just pick on you. Yeah. (laughs) pick On you, Corey Ballantyne style over
1: and and over. They target you.
2: That's what's going to happen, man. Cause teams, uh, Dory Jackson's a good cornerback. And I think a door, and I think Robinson can be uh, a, a solid starter in the league, but, it, it's not proven yet, and he's going to have to prove it. And you get exposed, man. It, it can happen, and you can find yourself on the bench real quick. But the issue with that is who are you putting out there? I mean, Cordell Flott hurting his groin in this game, that's unfortunate, dude, because he, he mm-hmm. was playing out there on the boundary. He's playing outside, and he showed some chops out there. Darnay Holmes, very undersized. You just look at the Giants team right now. I, I think they're going to add somebody to this cornerback position. I think we're in agreement there. But even that, like that guy got cut by an NFL team. So how good is agreed,
1: Nick? And you said it best right now. You look at it and it seems like a situation that might be a bigger issue than maybe we were expecting going in. Now, that's not to say we you just broke down why you still have confidence in Robinson. I would say I have some confidence in Robinson, but I'm not sold by any means that he can play this role because they're asking him to do a lot. They're asking to be an island corner against some of these like insanely athletic and faster than him and more athletic than him receivers that you're going to face as wide receiver twos in the NFL. And maybe like you said, you have an Aaron Rodgers type or a coach is going to keep picking on you. But the key is what you mentioned earlier. He has to stay confident because I think that's why we see ultimately some of these young cornerbacks who have all the hype. They're always, let's say they go through camp as a number two, the whole time making plays in the preseason but get burned early in the regular season they go to the bench sometimes sooner than we expect because I feel like when those when that mental is off you just have no chance out there as a corner if your mental's not on and so yes it was disappointing when I saw Cordell Flock get hurt because we saw Cordell Flock start to take some snaps on the outside and that's something we want to see at least we want to at least have that possibility right we want to at least have that back you know, the safety in case maybe something doesn't go right with Robinson but I am a little annoyed, Nick, because I do feel like if this was managed a little bit differently and we didn't throw money at players like Kyle Rudolph or, you know, deferring Nate Soldier's contract one more year because he could play swing tackle or maybe start at right tackle, these types of decisions, they would have had a little bit more money to really keep a player like Bradbury because they really didn't get much back like from a cap relief standpoint, they got enough. They got what they needed to get under their under the cap in their dire situation. But maybe if that situation wasn't so dire with players in bloated contracts like Kyle Rudolph and and Nate Solder or whatever was left of that last year. Maybe if that wasn't so dire and they have to kick back the money last year when they restructured the Bradbury deal, they could have had him on the team. And like you should, you know, that to me is just something that that will bother me at times because I know that they had one more year out of him from a financial standpoint if they just didn't do some of those other silly things.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of mismanagement from the previous regime, and it's not on Joe Shane. It's the tough decision. It sucks that he signed in the NFC East, but it's something we're gonna have to live with at this point. This is the bed the Giants made from from past regimes, For and sure. hopefully, hopefully Aaron Robinson can step. I mean, on on those two plays in the red zone, he made he was in good position on the yes. first one. I felt like the Patriots did a good job kind of setting him up because. The Patriots ran a like kind of a deep horizontal cross and Aaron Robinson was right on top of it. The play goes incomplete. I think Aaron Robinson would have aggressively played through the catch point. The throw was a little bit more accurate and then it would have been incomplete. Good job on Aaron Robinson. But then the very next play, they run a similar looking route. And then as Aaron Robinson goes to work underneath that route, the receiver pivots, and uh, Taequann Thornton pivots back towards the back pylon, and then Aaron Robinson is holding him like crazy, and he's just way out of position, and Hoyer throws a touchdown pass to him. So it's like they almost set him up, and they knew that he was going to do that and be a little bit more aggressive because that's what they saw – that's what he saw before.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I felt like it was mixed bag, especially in those short and intermediate areas. But I want to talk a little bit more about the secondary here with you, Nick, because – you know, I don't want to harp on the past. That'll be the last mention of it, but I do really wish we had a player like Bradbury just for the depth standpoint, because if Robinson gets hurt or if either his guys get hurt and Robin or Robinson, you know, doesn't play well, they need to look to some of the other guys on this roster. And I thought it wasn't really just Robinson. I felt like Zion Gilbert didn't have a really good night out there for the Giants going against, you know, third stream thing string type
2: players for the Patriots. Dude, Bailey Zappi can't throw the football like than
1: you. <laughs> I know. And, dude, you think he threw for like 70 touchdowns last year, didn't he, or something insane?
2: What yeah, he's a, right he, he's a very smart quarterback, but he's not known <laughs> for having a, a, a ton, of, ton of velocity. But, dude, his balls were like dying 30 yards <laughs> downfield. I know. They, they were all back shoulder
3: throws
2: <laughs> because the receiver would stop. They would track it. And all I know. The, and the Giants cornerbacks didn't have the awareness to kind of get their head around and realize. And it was yeah. completely that happened like three separate times. And then finally, the kid that the Giants signed from Seattle, who tore his Achilles last season, Heslop, he freaking like just kind of like put his arms in the air and knocked one <laughs> away. I mean, they can defend a bad, poorly placed back shoulder throw from Bailey's Appy. Holy crap. But you're right, man. I mean, those UDFAs, I like Darren Evans. I've heard a lot of good things coming out of okay. camp from the people on the beat. And I love his length. The dude is like, you know, 99th percentile in length at that position. But he's, again, like rail thin. But he also comes from the SEC, LSU kid, similar to Cordell Flott. And I think he had a really nice open field tackle on a little flare pass to a Patriots running back where he came downhill and he stuck him. Great angle. Love to see that. I think he had like one nice play on the football maybe in this game. I don't have to go back to the film to really confirm that. But he also got beat by a couple of those back shoulders. The depth here at the secondary, specifically at outside cornerback, it's Mm -hmm. thin, man. Nobody, nobody at all stepped up. The only cornerback that we could like talk good about who is, you know, an outside guy is is Dory Jackson because he was like hardly ever, like you didn't even know he was playing.
1: Which is great. Whenever you don't hear from him, it's great.
2: Absolutely. And then the safeties, you know, Xavier McKinney is going to be Xavier McKinney. I I like what I see from Adams. I, I really think that kid can work his way into this rotation with Julian Love, who, and who made a did not have a good tackle attempt on that special teams on that punt return up the sideline, and that's another thing we could get into. I know we don't really evaluate special teams too much. Graham Gano, he's a stud, but geez, man, taking dumb penalties, allowing big returns, you know, special teams do. I feel like it's been an issue. For the New York Giants, like my entire life, I don't even know what's going on. Yeah, but at
1: least the majority of your life, they had some like random good special teams years mixed in. Recently, I'm trying to remember the exact ones. Yeah. Now. I feel like they had like a DVOA of third at one. One of the here the Thomas McGahey era has been in a lot better. Has been a much improved era for special teams. But when it was Tom Quinn back there running that special teams for like years and years and years, the point where people were like, "Does he have some?" incriminating photos of john mara all the pieces (laughs) and the pieces add
2: up piece this thing together there might be some smoke here my father has said that exact statement (laughs) so many times
1: every every giants fan over the age of 60 has talked about that
2: he's much more specific though they just (laughs) we'll just say that much (laughs)
1: Yeah, not for the air but i just want to say one funny thing nick i needed to get this out because i just looked it up bailey's at just to just give you an idea of how little these college stats mean when you're playing at like the second level and how, when you're evaluating these quarterbacks, it really definitely has to be traits based. If you want to project these guys, to the NFL, I don't know how to do it. Nick doesn't know how to do it. No one how to do it perfectly. That's why all these draft picks are bad, but, and all these NFL teams get these wrong all the time, but you got to go by traits, right? Look at, just listen to how ridiculous these Bailey Zappi stats were. He played 14 games last year for Western Kentucky, 69.2 completion rate, Nick, 5,967 yards. This dude almost threw 6,000 yards in 14 games last year. 62 touchdowns, 11 INT. Are you kidding me, Bill? And then we watch him tonight and he can't even throw the football.
2: Well, he's pretty accurate. I'll give him that. He is he's accurate. Just, he's got good yeah. ball
1: placement. He's got way good ball placement.
2: He's got that, uh, he's got that, you know, long release kind of. And he, he also, he kind of reminds me of like a, like a bad Chad Pennington, you know?
1: Oh, I like that. I was thinking bad Kyle Orton bad Ooh. Kyle Orton, he's but in pen Chad because Chad Pennington was almost too good for this dude.
2: Oh yeah. Well, Chad, Chad Pennington and me, man, that was a good quarterback. He was yes. a good quarterback for the arm really, injury. Yeah. He couldn't really push the ball vertically. And dude, oh, no. I, I grew up around a bunch of jet fans and everything like that. So I like, I had to hear way too much about Chad Pennington, but I always like had a respect for him. And then I met him down at the senior bowl a couple of years ago and we chatted for like 10 minutes and I was like, Oh, this guy's a nice guy.
1: Funny Chad Pennington story real quickly because we're doing way too much time on Chad Pennington. My friend Steve Milano, shout out Steve Milano. One time we were down in South Florida on vacation around the same time that the Dolphins were playing. I think it was the Ravens in the playoff game that Chad Pennington took the Dolphins to. And he made the best but also dumbest bet I've ever seen anyone make. For some odd reason, not taking any kind of odds or spread or line, he bet his friend, a Dolphins fan, or I think it was his cousin, a Dolphin fan, that Chad Pennington would throw four interceptions in the game, at least four interceptions, and Chad Pennington threw four interceptions in that game. One of most the most incredible, but also a one-to-one bet. He did not get any odds on this, but somehow hit.
2: Was that against the Ravens? Yes, the Ravens. Yeah, I don't know why I remember that, but dude, that's, <laughs> uh, wow. How much money? Shout
1: out make? Steve Milano. I don't know the exact dollar, but that call is the, one of the most bold, unnecessary, but also awesome bets I've ever heard.
2: Cojones on Steve Milano. Jeez, that is nuts. All right, though. We'll try transi-
1: Paisan of yours.
2: Oh, fellow Paisan. There we go.
1: All right, let's get back into it.
2: So I loved to see, and it was not a surprise at all, Dan, the aggressive nature of Wink Martindale's defense with these Giants players because you saw twists. You saw Cam Brown blitzing. You saw Michael McFadden and Darian Beavers coming downhill, plugging the A and B gap in their run fits and in passing situations. You saw the nickel coming down. You saw the safety near the box coming off the edge. I don't think it was all of his cards, you know? But oh, yeah. It was definitely <laughs> a nice taste, man. That was like when you go out to dinner and you order, you know, you have the hors d'oeuvres if you're at like a you know happy hour or something like that, but then you get those appetizers. We got the appetizers. We skipped the hors d'oeuvres.
1: Oh, yeah. First, uh, I, I'm going to bring this one back to all, all the fate, most favorite reference on Big Blue Banter, the poker reference, Nick. This will be right up your alley and 13% of our listeners. But it's almost like he's the player who sat at your table with a medium to big size stack early on check raises you so you're like oh my god this dude has check raising and then he just starts raising every button he starts raising every cutoff he's three betting you pre-flop he's going to be so aggressive he didn't even want to show anything tonight he didn't have to it doesn't matter but man he showed enough to prove to me nick that we're going to see a really different style of defense an aggressive style of defense a style that defense that dictates those games that we've complained about in the past where the giants were like you know why did not the giants try something different they kind of just sat in that zone and let, let it come to them it's just not going to happen anymore so big plays will be given up Aaron Robinson might be the brunt of some of them hopefully not and maybe these linebackers and coverage hopefully not but it's going to be fun man there were guys coming from all different kinds of directions there was one free rush that Quincy Roche got that I felt like Roche shot out of a cannon on
2: yeah there were a couple plays that Roche really stuck out Roche's kind of become this this player where we thought he was a lock to make this roster I'm not sure if he is man I, I I've heard just like whispers and stuff and people on the beat, like just talking about how they think other players are more fit than Quincy Roche, a la a O'Shane Zimenez. And I didn't expect O'Shane Zimenez to have that great of a camp. And it seems like he's really impressing this coaching staff. So I, I don't know the, the certainty of someone like a Quincy Roche making this roster so so to see him go out there and split a double team get low use his hands very efficiently that gave me some encouragement because I want him on this roster because a he's very cheap and I know he's talented and I think he's probably one of the more physical pure edges that the Giants have other than you know Jihad Ward if you want to consider him an edge and he proved that in
1: this game when he made that big run stop and he played a key role in that run stop. He's a physical but guy who will get in, get involved, get in the mix, and like you said, play a role that maybe they don't have. They have Jihad Ward. You can say that, but I, I don't know if O'Shane is imminent. <laughs> Definitely not O'Shane is imminent for that kind of physical nature role. So I'm with you, man. I hope those whispers don't come to fruition. And I think he has more time to prove himself. He still has these preseason games, the film on these preseason games. I think they're going to probably play a big role in that in that battle as well. So let's talk a little bit about the inside linebackers because there was a lot of buzz around Darren Beavers tonight and what he did, a lot of buzz around what Micah McFadden did when he came in in that second half and really was featured with that defense. Um, Tate Crowder was out there, no Blake Martinez. What are your thoughts on what you saw from the inside backers?
2: Damn, yeah, Beavers just popped, dude. Beavers was just popping out there. He was reading screens, blowing plays up, making plays towards the sideline, looked a lot faster than I remembered after I watched his college tape and this is you know the last pick by this joe Shanner. i think they found somebody man and i I just hear nothing but good things about this kid coming out of camp and to see it translate in his first live action in the nfl right here against the new england patriots up in foxborough i mean i love to see that and dude i don't know if you remember before the draft i was like dude darian beavers that guy is going to be a new england patriot like (laughs) like i Like he just fits the New England Patriot mold of like a Kyle Van Noy big linebacker who you can align on the edge, who is smart, who has played a lot of different positions. He used to be at UConn as an edge and then he transfers to Cincinnati and is one of the focal points of one of the best defenses in college football last year. And I really think the Giants would have found something in this kid. You don't really hear much about Michael McFadden. I think Michael McFadden – Had a couple nice plays where he penetrated, saw that quickness, looked really, really uh, explosive on a couple of those plays where he penetrated through the B gap. I think it was coming downhill and he was also using the blitz. But Beavers, man, if I had to pick one of the two, Beavers is definitely impressing more through training camp and then even in this game.
1: And Beavers is the one who came in first. Beavers is higher limit on depth chart, and Beavers is making that impression, it looks like, with the coaches as well. Just good to see, man. They use these guys downhill a lot. That's going to be that type of scheme, and I think it fits what they do well. Um, hopefully not too many missed tackles. I saw one early. I forgot who this was. I think it was Beavers made a really good uh, diagnosis and shot. Uh, I think it was like a third. I'm trying to look for it now in the notes, but bad radio, but – Let's see. I think it was the second one. He did a good job firing downhill. This was on the first drive. Yeah, the first drive for the defense. Uh, but it was he just couldn't secure the the, the kind of ankle tackle against Taylor. And he fought through for an extra three or four yards there. But overall, that play side, which was not even a bad play by any means, but definitely some promise there from both him and, like you said, McFadden. Good to see, man, because, again, like I said, I think there is room for them to cut into Tate Crowder's snap share this year. And we'll see what happens there.
2: Yeah, like we mentioned this before on the podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning again. The Giants are going to rotate these linebackers, man. Like, uh, there's only going to be like one or two guys who are going to play like all the snaps, and it's going to be like Xavier McKinney and Adore Jackson, like Aaron Robinson if he proves himself and if everybody stays healthy. I think these linebackers are going to rotate situationally. They're going to keep them fresh. I think you're going to see a lot of multiple safety looks, three, four safety looks, multiple outside linebacker looks. Get Ellerson Smith, O'Shane Zimenez with Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz O'Jelar. It's going to be creative. It's going to be a little bit different than what we're used to from Patrick Graham, and that's not a slight of Patrick Graham. Patrick Graham is a good defensive coordinator, but we know Wink Martindale is more about pressure, more about using all of his personnel in a variety of ways to really, just attack the offense's vulnerabilities. And I think that's what they're going to do. And it's all going to be situational. And I'm really excited to be breaking it down. And we're going to be covering it extensively here all season. And I'm ecstatic about it, bro. Yeah, me too,
1: man. It's going to be a lot of fun, especially with a team that, to me, at least feels like roster-wise is definitely moving in the right direction. I had a couple other takeaways to close out on, and then I'll turn it over to you, see if you have any that that you didn't get a chance to get to. One thing was, I did like, around the time uh, of the Pat's third drive, in the broadcast, they flashed the Giants' sideline, and I love to see the togetherness of uh, Evan Neal. Um, Wandale Robinson and Kayvon Thibodeau they were all three together kind of joking around hanging on the sideline just like to see that core building it just feels to me like a happier atmosphere there and that is a rookie core that could ultimately be like the big time core on this roster if Wandale Robinson hits I feel really good about Neil and Thibodeau hitting if Wandale Robinson hits two alongside them then that is a, potentially a class that really turns things around it is that again that core class so good to see that for sure I loved on the third drive, Nick. This is a random note, but I love they had a third and two, the Giants, and they ran a three by one set uh, with the tight end as the one. And they did it from a tight from the tight splits, kind of that Rams style tight splits three by one, which to me I love to see. The Rams, in my opinion, have done a really good job with that. It cre- I think it makes in my mind, it makes it easier for the route combinations and maybe for the quarterback to see. Uh, where where the solution is i just like that the giants are now using that i don't i don't remember or recall too many if any examples of jason garrett using that to, with with everyone on the field but there are probably more than i'm forgetting
2: yeah jason garrett would use uh like trips formations reduced sets and tried to do a variety of different things it just wasn't successful for a lot of different reasons but it's not like he was always out there in 13 personnel just a little bit too much yeah, to yeah. <laughs> and
1: um anything else from you takeaways wise that you didn't get a chance to get to
2: no, I'm just excited to see the next two preseason games. I think we learned a decent amount about a lot of these back-end players and who can really rise to the occasion. And I think there's still just a ton of great competition throughout this depth chart. And there's going to be some really quality players who are cutting, as Joe Shane said in the broadcast, because NBC, they brought him into the broadcast booth. As, uh, as he said, man, hey, they're going to add – players like they're 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 constantly looking at people who are cut who are on the free agent wire so there's going to be even more turnover than than maybe what we expect
1: yeah and he even mentioned that he started to get a little nervous about the depth on the offensive line they're like oh you got so much more depth on your offensive line it's like well let's be careful i gotta see what's going on with shane lemieux and obviously now jamil douglas so we'll see what happens there hoping for the best for sure i'm excited nick to see the next preseason game because i would imagine that we'll see some first team starters on both sides of the ball Uh, especially maybe uh, at least on the defense side of the ball versus Daniel Jones in the first-team offense. So that's something I'll be looking forward to for sure. But on that note, we're going to sign off here on Big Blue Banter. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.